Hi, this is Ryan, and I'm the producer of Techish. Abba and Michael are taking a breather this week, so this episode is going to be a bit of a greatest hits. This is all about self-care, looking after yourself as a founder, and looking after yourself as a person of colour in society in general. I want to talk about uh, an open letter that I read from someone that I met, and someone that Abba Desi knows, a dude called Carl Martin. He was the founder of um, his own startup, which was essentially attempting to replace LinkedIn. I mean, we've all got like a, I was going to say a love-hate relationship with LinkedIn. It's mainly hate. And <laughs> I think he just saw it and was like, you know what? LinkedIn gonna, killer. Yeah, basically. He wanted to build something that was more uh, inclusive, something that was more simpler, more streamlined. And he built an app, which I saw, and I, I have used it a few times, and it was pretty cool. The app is called Ping. Yeah, the app was called Ping. I think and then re- more than we. Yeah, he rebranded. Now, the open letter was basically him saying... I've been working on this for two years full time and I'd raised some money and I tried to raise some more money from investors. I took a lot of meetings in the States. He's, he's London based and, um, it hasn't really worked out. He didn't get any follow through based on a number of factors, like maybe like lack of traction and whatnot, which he outlines in the article. And he talks about the downsides of being an entrepreneur, essentially he talks about mm-hmm. why he's decided to go back into employment while he works on his part time. Yeah. Take a breather because, um, his health was deteriorating. Yes. His social life was deteriorating. He had no money. Mm-hmm. Like, and I just thought it was a really refreshing look at what can go wrong. And I think sometimes we just big it up too much and Definitely. on the gray side, like everyone's trying to get in the game because they want to be a millionaire and they want to get rich. But what they don't forget is that, if you actually just want to have a stable income and be a relatively high earner, you're better placed to just stay in the corporate world mm. and rise up the corporate ladder. Like probability wise, honestly, that is true. Mm. And there's an overwhelming amount of data to prove that. So many people assume because of the myths in the media and the things that we watch on TV and in films that, oh my God, like this amazing story of the tech founder, you know, this 20 something, 30 something guy. Mm almost always a guy who, uh, yeah. you know, just you know comes up with this great idea in his bedroom or his g- garage or like whatever. And suddenly he's just like rolling in it. Mm. And, you know, people like Evan Spiegel, you know, they're anomalies. Mm. They really, really are. Like he's Outliers. a very, very privileged guy from a very privileged background. And the risk is much lower for them. And, you know, you can't, for every Evan Spiegel who succeeded, by the way, there are also like a thousand who haven't succeeded, but it doesn't matter because mm. they're living off a trust fund. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the majority of founders are broke. Like yeah. I've said this Brian Chesky quote on the show before, but I just love it. You know, the difference between an unemployed person and an entrepreneur is a mindset. Mm. And it's true. And we all know that. Like we've all bootstrapped before. Like I've been there, you've been there. You know, you just can't do stuff that people with a job can do. Yeah. People are like, oh yeah, cool. Let's just like go for dinner, go to the movies. Nope. And you can't do that. And I remember, um, you know, I had a really dry spell of sales with like hustle crew last summer. No one was buying any of my training. No one was booking anything. And one of my friends who moved away from London to New York had come back to visit and he'd planned all this week of really fun stuff. And I was just like, I'm going to have to be so lame like i i, I just can't come for dinner tonight because yeah. you know dinner in london 30 40 quid then out for drinks another 40 quid before you know it you know you're spending hundreds of pounds and then you yeah, we'll work that out against how much you're earning and you know it, the point that carl makes in there borrowing off friends borrowing off family okay fine for a month maybe a few a year you know like you do it for a year you do it for a year and a half like that's when you really reset like one of the biggest reasons why i decided to you know, work at Product and Angelus, like apart from it being an amazing company, was also because I just didn't want to bootstrap another mm-hmm. year. I was like, so mental this must health. Have, this must have really resonated with you then. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, it's really funny because, um, you know, Carl is a friend and we met, 
I actually knew of him. You know how it is in startups. You knew yeah, people yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, we never yeah, really yeah. met in real life. And we both were very fortunate to attend an incredible course, which I highly, highly recommend for every single human being in the world. It's called Design for Inclusion. And it's run by a London-based uh, startup called Fearless Futures. Um, so Hannah Naima McCloskey is this incredible British Algerian woman who's basically built an organization to tackle inequality and injustice from an intersectional lens. And she works with schools. She works with big corporates, banks, tech mm. companies, etc. We go on this four and a half day course, which is basically like, how do we design for inclusion? How do we build stuff which is more inclusive? And as entrepreneurs on the very similar journey, same age, you know, we bonded a lot on that because we were sharing a lot of the same struggles. And we talked about mental health a lot mm. during that because being an entrepreneur creates its own level of anxiety and stress, which, you know, we really don't talk about a lot. It's, it's not very lonely. Like, how many people do you know who are bootstrapping a business right now? I know tons. We do, yeah. yeah, yeah. But Maybe we've sold them out. You're like, yeah, you're, like, yeah. you're like three years into this journey of doing yeah, it, yeah, right? Yeah. But when you first start out, did you know many? Oh, no, not really. No, not at all. So you kind of, you know, all of the friends that you, let, you know, who you still have in your life are like in a job and just in a more comfortable position and very mm. little things you never had to worry about. Like, Oh yeah, cool. Let's just go see this new film at the cinema. Suddenly you're like, uh, and you take that for granted when you're in work, exactly. like the smallest things that you would just casually spend 25 pound here, 30 pound here for dinner, whatever. And yeah, when you're bootstrapping, it's like, I can't go and you get, it's lonely. Yes. It's a lonely road. And you know, the mental health is so closely linked to the physical health. When I was bootstrapping, I remember some of my family came to visit the same summer and they're like, well, you've lost so much weight. Are you okay? You're not eating enough. In my mind, I thought I was eating enough. Mm. Um, but you know what stress does? Like it makes you neglect yourself and it makes you neglect your self care. And it's really interesting because Carl speaks about how some of his, you know, physical, ailments were also kind of just getting exacerbated. Yeah, actually got disorders. Through like, all the stress. Yeah, like before. skin conditions and all this kind of stuff. And I know for me personally, the biggest thing that made me realize, wow, this life maybe isn't for me, um, at least not for now, was my increased social anxiety. Oh, seriously? Yeah. So I'm like relatively extroverted person. I'm always up for hanging out with people, chilling, like go to a networking event, mm. go to whatever. In the first six months of Hustle Crew, I was still super pumped because, you know, I, remember I had a little bit of attraction and yeah. everything was great. While I was in the incubator and encouraged to move towards this B2B model, after that pivot, I just never really quite got anywhere sticky, any kind of traction. And there was like a, just such a slump for so many months that I actually stopped wanting to go to stuff because at least in the beginning of the journey, you're kind of like, oh, you know, we're still finding our feet, but we've had a few wins. Mm. And then, you know, when you're at that point in your business plan where you're just not executing the forecast you made or like whatever, like you do start to get a bit sad and you do start to feel a bit like a failure. Mm. And I remember just not wanting to go to stuff because I just felt that people always wanted to ask me how I was doing. And can I also just say, can we talk about that? When you have a job, no one asks you, what are you earning? How are you going to survive? How are you going to get a mortgage? Suddenly I was an entrepreneur and like all my personal finances were other people's Mm, business. That's true. What's that about? Yeah, I was going to say, I hate when people just say to you like, oh, how's business? Because you're forced to kind of give a canned answer, even if you're doing terribly. Oh yeah, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. But yeah, if you had people around you that were like, how much money are you making? I would have just been like, just mind your business. Like, <laughs> mind your yeah, business. Yeah, mind your business. Like, um, so people were, people were really asking you those type of you questions. You will not believe it. I, I don't know if it's like a male woman, male, female thing or whatever. I remember I went to like a friend's wedding 
And I saw some colleagues, um, colleagues, university friends I hadn't seen in years. And you know how it is keeping up with the Joneses. Everyone wants to know what everyone's up to. And you went to LSU and as well. And I went to LSU, which so everyone, like, you can imagine, like, everyone's quite high achieving, like, yeah, and like, type oh, A, like, I'm you know, writing speeches for, like, Obama or, like, whatever. And you're just like, all right. But someone was just like, oh, I heard you're running your own business. You know, that, like, passive aggressive line of questioning. Mm. She's like, oh, I always wanted to run my own business, but I could just never find a way for the economics to make sense. And I was like, okay, good for you. Mm. And she's just like, I mean, I just, how do you, I mean, London's so expensive, you're bootstrapping, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, well, you know. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. It is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I was just like, I don't really feel that I owe you. I literally haven't seen you in years, but no, I, you will be surprised how many people. And, and interestingly, often women, often women who also were interested in entrepreneurship themselves, just like regard me as some kind of like mysterious thing, and they just you know wanted to use but that. To cliche get phrase: you're a, you're kind of a role model in a sense of you know woman, mm -hmm. you know woman founder going out doing her own thing. So it doesn't surprise me that other women would want to know like how have you done it or how are you finding yeah. it. To be honest, just like so. But they that's might the thing. That's extra pressure as well. Hundred percent. That's yeah. extra pressure that then goes on to the founder. So for example, like Carl, you know, I'm gonna go out and kill LinkedIn. Everyone knows you put yourself out there and. You know, then people expect you to fulfill that. And mm. also people expect you to like always be on it. Like they want entrepreneurs, mm. founders, got to be a hundred percent, always be pitching, and always you know be selling energy, something. energy, energy. I feel so bad when I met him. I think he actually paid for coffee and tea. Now, if I knew how bad things were for him, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> this is a terrible, like, I'm not so even making a joke. Yeah, Martin. yeah, coffee, listen to this. Like, I'm going to get you back for that. Don't get twisted. Like, but such an informative and like eye-opening like letter and article because we all can resonate with yes. parts of it. I remember my experience before I was doing um, people of color in tech.com. I was, I had like an e-commerce startup and it was going sideways. So I had to go back to work and this is, I was just fresh out of uni. So I actually had to go back to my old retail job. So that wasn't, this wasn't even like, I'm going back to a nice corporate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, I'm going ground zero back again. And it was like cap in hand. I felt so embarrassed and I would see people that, had graduated a year before me mm. and they were all, you know, working in finance and, and they were yeah. like, oh, how are you doing? Like they would see me in my uniform. <laughs> You'd like, be like, hey man. Oh Lord. But it was character building. I'll get twisted. Like yeah. I learned that you just have to stop giving an F basically what yes. others, others think of you. And I also learned that you've got to really believe in what you're doing because at the time I didn't really believe in what I was doing. So it made it a harder pill to swallow. So mm. whatever you're building, whether it's hustle crew or what Carl was working on, if you don't really believe like completely and utterly in what you're doing, when this kind of stuff happens, you're just going to throw in a towel because you should throw in a towel because it's too hard. Like it doesn't, it doesn't logically, like I can't explain why anybody should really do this because you're not likely to get rich. Let's keep it 100. Yeah. You're going to struggle for a long time. There's much quicker ways of getting rich and not quicker Agreed. ways, much more stable ways of getting rich. Yeah. If, and, and if healthier, you're healthier, more sustainable, healthier, sustainable ways. ways, you know, get a six figure salary if you can and just put away whatever you're saving and eventually you'll have a lot of money. I was recently asked at an event that I did, um, I basically said, 
I was talking about negotiation and some tactics you can use. And I was telling people that they should find accountability partners mm. within their social network to sort of hold them accountable to the goal, whether that's asking for a pay rise, moving new jobs or whatever. Mm. Someone in the audience said to me, you know, what do you do if your friends aren't really into that kind of stuff? They're not mm. like that. Maybe mm. they're not as ambitious as you. Um, so really it just became a question of like, you know, how can you switch up your so social circle right. so you're around the right people that sort of support your ambition, whether that's, you know, succeeding as a founder or succeeding within the tech world. Right. Um, is this something you've heard about before or like you've experienced or seen, observed? I mean, I think everybody knows that phrase of, you know, you're the average of the five people that you hang around with. Mm. And there is a, a lot of truth to that statement. And I think someone in that position, definitely you've got to, you know, you've got to do the hard work of getting out of your house and going to meetups and, and just surrounding yourself with ambitious people. Find them. Where are they? Where are, they? Where are, the, where are the people that are interested in what you're interested in? And just make sure that you're in their proximity, literally. Um, I've always struggled with, you know, changing up your social circle. Like, I don't necessarily agree with completely changing it because I think different people have different functions in, in your life and yeah. you vice versa. Like I have friends that are super ambitious that I've grown up with and I have friends that, you know, stay at home and play video games all day. Yeah. And I haven't completely That's cut That's me, the by the way. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't cut those people off. Like I know some people are a lot more ruthless than like, I cut those people off. But sometimes I want to just play video games for like an hour and, yeah. and, and, and just be a knucklehead. Like why not kind of thing. Mm. But you've got to be careful not to let those people have any influence in your life. This sounds really ruthless, but I'm keeping it 100 now. But if you've got, let's say, all of your friends are like that, that's yeah. difficult. That's when you've got to make a conscious effort to go out, meet those people, engage with the new people, go to meetups, go to, you know, networking events, as, as cliche as it sounds, even join online communities. Yeah. Because a lot of our interactions now with our friends, let's keep it real, it's a WhatsApp group. It's a, it's like a, you know, it's an IG group now. Like, And sometimes you need to be in a lot of those kind of super positive, super ambitious ones just so that your mental energy is filled with positivity as cliche as, as this all sounds. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's about... I think it's about striking the balance, but I do still like to your point. Yes. You know, strike the balance. One of the things I love about like Rihanna, whenever I'm like on her Instagram, but like, she's still like friends with all of her friends like, from Barbados. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think I can't even imagine what it must be like to go from like, you know, normal life to be plucked from obscurity to then being, you know, one of the most recognizable faces on a planet of yeah, like nuts. 10 billion people. Yeah, that's nuts. I can't imagine what that must be like. So of course there's value in staying connected to your roots. We've talked about Ye in the past and how like he got too yeah, that's far what gone. Happened. That's what happened. So yeah, it's like, right, you got to stay connected to your roots. However, at the same time, there are some connections which are toxic. And I think as we grow older, we start to recognize those ones which maybe are a net loss overall when we think of all the interactions. Mm. And I'd say... If you if you just wish that there were more ambitious people in your phone book that you could call upon mm. when you're trying to work through a problem or whatever, then you should probably spend a bit more time like online or yeah. in networking events. And yeah. don't worry about, oh, I'm not extroverted. I'm not introverted. I did a workshop yesterday and someone said, you know, I want to build my network, but I'm an introvert. And I said, you know, I consider myself an ambivert. It's like there are times when I'm happy to be extroverted, but there are also times when I have serious social anxiety or I just yeah, yeah. get very out. drained by people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I think what I would say is put yourself out there um talk talk in the open about what you're working on, about what you aspire to, what your ambitions are. Write about them on Medium, share them on Twitter or Instagram, whatever social media platform you 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 like. You can start your own blog if that's what you would prefer, but just start telling your story so that people 
who are interested in that story and, you know, also out there trying to strive for things can connect with you. So uh, a, a BuzzFeed article went viral, making waves across the internet, describing millennials as the burnout generation. Mm. It opens with um, expressing the challenges of completing like seemingly trivial tasks, like filling out voter registration forms, etc. Right. Because we're always burdened by what feels like a never ending to do list while yeah. still lacking true financial security as a yeah. result of growing up in the recession and just generally living in quite economic and politically uncertain times, the erosion of public services, etc. So we right. don't necessarily have that nest that our parents did and previous generations did. Um, I think the reason why it resonated with so many people was because a lot of the times, you know, millennials and, you know, by millennials, I mean, you know, people who roughly aged like what, 22 to like 37, 38, something right. like that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Millennials so are getting people old, just, boy. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, yeah, I'm one of them. You're millennials. <laughs> but, you know, this idea of, like, people born in this era, like, going through the same moments in history together, entering mm. adulthood to- together, have never really been able to, in a way, kind of, like, define their experience and define their struggle. Like, there are certain mm. phrases that have been coined for this generation, like, quarter-life crisis and stuff yeah. like that. But it was the first time someone kind of did, like, a more sociological examination of it, which I thought was really right. interesting. So the poet Tiana Clark, a black American woman, wrote her own response to this, which was also published on BuzzFeed. And it was a really, really um, fascinating response in the sense that she says that what is described in that article written by a white woman is a sense of tiredness that black Americans have felt for generations Mm. and literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years beginning with the trauma of arriving on a slave ship Mm. and, you know, entering into the present day where they are still regarded as second-class citizens by Mm. the society Mm. that their, you know, ancestors and forefathers died. And built. To build. Yeah. Um, So I think what I loved about that response is the reminder that one must always be like intersectional in how they approach any examination of society. Mm. And remember that, you will never be able to truly empathize with the experiences of someone of another identity because you have not experienced like the structures of society and structural oppression in the way that they have. You might have read about it, but you just don't know. So if you haven't read uh, Tiana's article, please do Uh, read both of them. They're both amazing. Share them with your friends, have a debate, have a discussion. These are issues which are affecting us. And unless we name them, we can't find a way to like, understand them and overcome mm, them and mm. mitigate against them what do you think could be done we all know how millennials have been you know stuck with an economy where there's no real like rising wages mm. you can't really get on a property ladder um and obviously if you're black it's compounded by other things where you know you're afraid of the police or you know even i had an experience where i was overseas i was in wales i was gonna say overseas but it kind of was like i was overseas like <laughs> so anyways i'm going into a store now and i'm like okay let me like take off my hood because i don't want them to get scared yeah, and like that kind of mental baggage of just having to constantly worry oh, about yeah. how you're perceived, like even and I and like I can't imagine what it's like to not have that fear, not even that, not fear, but not to have that mental circuitry of just like how am I being perceived right now? Oh, of course, because I don't want to come across as like thing. And sometimes you put that inflection in your voice where you're like, "Hey, uh, so that people don't get yeah, scared." Yeah, like, yeah. This is exactly what yeah, the article and, that, talked and about. that's compounding on top of the economic situation. Do you know what I mean? Because obviously, not every community has can't go to their parents and just be like, "Yo, I want to buy a house. Can you give me X, Y, and Z?" and um. And if that upwardly mobile white generation or demographic is suffering, 
It's even it is, worse. It's quadruply compounded. <laughs> but, but this is the point that Tiana makes where she's saying that, um, you know, if that's how you feel as like a more privileged group of society, how do you think it is for us, mm. you know, when we are disproportionately at the behest of all these institutions and it's harder for us to get a loan and it's harder for us to get a job and like, you know, we know that bias is real, conscious, unconscious, whatever, it's there. Look at the numbers. We're not rising. We're not represented. Right. So I, I think oh so what's the solution like well one obviously awareness please let's have a conversation let's talk about it sometimes people are wondering you know why it is that there aren't that many black people in their team well have you created an environment in which black people can thrive have you taken the care to educate yourselves on you know where where black people are in terms of like recruiting them or like what they want in terms of like their values have you even like created compensation packages that suit the reality of being a black mm. person. These are the questions you need to be asking yourselves mm. in your teams and in your organizations and acknowledging that the experiences of, you know, one person isn't necessarily the experiences of another, especially if they're of different races. And then I think the second thing, which Tiana highlights in a personal, um, like essay. So writing about her own experiences that was published in Lenny.com. Mm. She said that for her, it's just about investing in like her own personal well-being and self-care because what often happens is speaking as a black woman, you're doing a lot of work and you're often doing the work of others and you don't give yourself permission to rest. Right. Right. So she says how she is always afraid to ask for what she wants mm. because asking for what she wants will be interpreted as emotional aggressive black woman trope essentially because she is a black woman you know if she if she wasn't a black woman then people would be like oh great she's assertive she's interesting so she says you know the reality of that perception of others is that you just like work yourself to the ground you never have that space to take a break you're worried if you do take a break you're going to be seen as lazy and now you're going to get fired yeah so she says that she just she just invests in herself so if any part of this story resonates with you then just make sure you are giving yourself space Another thing that I think is so important, if I could just go back in time and tell myself, it's this. Don't sweat the small stuff. Mm. The perspective that you get the longer you've done entrepreneurship is so powerful. Mm. It's so valuable. You get better at prioritizing. You get better at, I'm not saying I'm perfect, by the way, but I do feel that I've gotten a lot better at understanding like what I should actually give headspace and energy to and what is something that like just get it done or just defer it to later I meet so many founders that are like obsessing over every little thing and like don't get me wrong it's important to put attention in the details and it's important to like be deliberate in everything that you do but if you put like a hundred percent energy analysis and everything into every single action you're going to burn out I think me personally one thing I always struggle with is ego this is really me opening up because Mm. I've like I resist sometimes working with people. I resist sometimes, um, you know, in fact, actually part of the reasons why I became an entrepreneur was because, this sounds so petty, but I got shushed in a meeting once. <laughs> we were having a meeting and the boss was like, shh. I was just like, oh, that's it, I'm leaving. That's it, I'm out of here. <laughs> I was like, that's it, I'm out of here. Like, yeah. and That is so annoying though. That is very annoying. We don't get twisted, but that's not leave your job annoying. Some people, not everyone's going to often leave their job and be like, that's it. Like, I'm going to go off and, and start my company and like, mm. sc- like screw these guys and whatever. Like, and if I asked the person who did it, they wouldn't even remember it. Mm. That's the thing, right? I had imbued that with some, some, or some giant narrative about my career and I just took it in a way. I was like, yeah, that's it. I'm off. And, um, and sometimes, yeah, like 
you can miss out on great opportunities also though if you let your ego get in the way like i've applied for certain things and like i didn't get in the first time certain fellowships certain things and i was like forget these guys don't they know who i am that's the internal battle i have and then i'm like no calm down this should still work out for you this should still be great it could still be a win-win as much as i hate the phrase win-win it could still be a win-win like apply anyway um and like you know emailing somebody and getting ignored emailing a a potential investor and getting ignored email emailing a a potential client and getting ignored like those type of things actually used to grip me a lot i used to get really down and be like oh man but like don't they know what we could do and blah 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 and it's like no it's not personal yeah you know who i learned from you're gonna laugh. Who? DJ Khaled. Nice. I saw an interview with DJ Khaled because he was notorious for getting features. Yeah. People were like, how have you got Jay Z on your track? Like, you're just a DJ. Like, if you ask ninety percent of people, what does DJ Khaled do? Most of them would be like, I don't have a, f- I don't have a clue. Like, he's the guy that shouts in front of the record. Yeah. But what he, I, and I was a fan of him from years ago because what he's not, what he's the best at is getting features, and he is just relentless with asking. He is relentless, just being like he doesn't care about his ego. He'll be like, Jay, do you want to come on this track? He'll be getting ignored for four years. Then eventually he'll get to the level where he's successful enough where Jay-Z will look at him and be like, all right, I'm ready. Okay, you're at the right, the right level now. And I learned a lot from that because I was like, yeah, like, don't take it personal. Bide your time. Bide your time. Don't take it personal. Hey guys, Ryan again. Hope you really enjoyed that episode and got a lot out of it. Remember to join in on the conversation. That's hashtag techish. Review this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you hear this. Five stars, please. Follow Abadesi and Michael Bahane. Check the show notes for more. Peace.